the land of Canaan, Joshua leads them nearer to the city of Jericho. Just prior to this, Joshua encounters Christ himself, the commander of the army of the Lord. Christ has been, since he had been sent by the Father, promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and proceeding on from there, Christ has been on the march not only in the pursuit of a covenant people, but in the establishing of a kingdom over all the earth that cannot be shaken. Christ arrives as the person, Jesus, in the New Testament. He is no stranger to this earth, but has for millennia pursued, scouted, and manifested his glory Throughout all the earth, the story of human history is not just a story of a heavenly being pursuing earthly creatures, but of a God who interacts intimately with his creation because it's his creation and because he will redeem all creation. Christ knows this globe. He knows his people. And if there is anything that we can say of the destruction of Jericho is that it is the work of Christ through his people to bring about the consummation of establishing Israel in the land of Canaan. And as we move through Joshua, we will open up the significance of this Old Testament work in its relationship even to the work of the church today in Christ's triumph over death in his own resurrection. But for now, I would invite you to follow along with me. Joshua chapter 6, I'll read the whole chapter, 1 through 27. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall flat down, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed. And march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was, when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced, and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them, the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark. While the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout! Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns, before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent, and you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua charged them at this time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. Thus, the reading of God's holy word, let me pray for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, even now, what a glorious story we have before us of your power at work through your chosen servant to bring an end to the calamity of unbelief in the land that you have promised to your people. 
This is a theme that continues to this day. A theme of your chosen servant bringing an end to debauchery, idolatry, wickedness, violence, unbelief, a stain upon this glorious place that you have made, Lord, that you would by your chosen servant to the people whom you have elected bring an end. Lord, bring an end to the pagan idolatry that plagues this land for the glory of your name and in fulfillment of your glorious and bright designs. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We come to what is, in many respects, the, a sort of hallmark story, certainly in the first part of the book of Joshua, and it is the first great victory of Israel over an even greater power. Shut up behind the gates and the walls, Israel was called to see Jericho in a way that only the commander of the army of the Lord might display to them. It is a kind of sight, it is a kind of vision that even we today are called to have. To look at the world with its tall walls, its secure gates, and to see it for what it is, soon to fall under the power of the God who leads us in victory through his mighty word. Three points that I want to make tonight as we open this text together. And seek to learn from it. Three, the first, seeing the world rightly. Seeing the world rightly. Conquering on God's terms. And then lastly, following the king on his march. Seeing the world rightly. Conquering on God's terms. And following the king on his march. Let's look at the first point. Seeing the world rightly. And I want to put emphasis on that participle, seeing. And it's a bit ironic in these opening verses, in fact. And I kind of chuckled when I first read it. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And then the Lord comes to Joshua and says, see, I've given Jericho to you. It's the kind of irony that should make us chuckle a little bit. Because as Israel's looking at Jericho, they're wondering, how are we going to conquer this city behind those big walls? And God, in essence, is saying to Joshua, I've gift-wrapped it for you. They're all in there. Big walls. No siege works. Except for the ones that God has designed for Israel. And I, it's just so good. I, I can't wait. It is the worship of the saints that is the mighty siege works that bring an end to the stronghold of the nations of this world. Worship is not the antithesis of work and action. It is another kind of kingdom-building work. 
in worship, for instance, our hearts as saints are conquered by King Jesus. And it is through our worship, not only that we bring in visitors from other churches, but we bring in visitors who have never bowed the knee to King Jesus. And it is in worship that the Spirit is working upon them to will and to do what is good and pleasing to God. Another principle, there are no walls that the world can hide behind that Christ, the commander of the army of the Lord, cannot breach in his power. He's the resurrected one. He defeated death and hell and the grave. And so though Jericho was shut up and the gates were closed, I'm picturing alligators in the moats. That's just my own sort of medieval brain working. That's how I would have designed my Lego castle. The world at times seems unconquerable, strong, beyond our ability to lay siege to. The fortresses of unbelief, men like Goliath, giants, But their entire lives are built upon sand. Their walls cannot stand. And so the Lord comes to Joshua and says, I have them exactly where I want them. Okay. And so he gives them instructions. The moment is right, now act. And how were they to act? Well, God gives them very clear instructions. But the question I have for us, prior to the instructions, because the only way in which we will actually follow the manual of conquering the kingdom of darkness is if we see the world as Christ instructs us to see it. Opportunity. To see. Now, oftentimes we see, but we do not see as Christ would have us see. We see big giants, we see big walls, and we think that can never happen. And a kind of creeping pessimism enters into our heart and we think it can never happen. It's not possible. Things are going very badly right now. It seems as though we're trending downward. And yet the Gospels, the whole of Scripture, would have us open our aperture perhaps a bit wider and judge God not by feeble human sense, but take him at his word. And throughout the Scriptures, God commands Israel, his chosen people, even spiritual Israel, his New Testament church, to see things as they are, but not always as they appear. This is what the book of Revelation is. It is to put on the, if you will, rose-colored glasses of Christ upon the throne. Now, Christ is not on the throne yet in Joshua 6, in the sense that he was after his resurrection. Christ is God and is seated in authority 
and according to the plan of the Father who sent the Son into the world to redeem the world, the commander of the army of the Lord is looking at the city of Jericho and he knows exactly how to conquer that city. Now, what could Christ do? In a, in a blink, in a snap, in a word, they could all turn to dust. God has the power to interact with creation in a way that accords with his will, but he could do anything according to his holy will. And yet God chooses to work through men. Do you ever wonder why Christ has not yet come? Why did he do it this way? So that you and I, according to God's bright and glorious designs, might be part, like Israel was in the Old Testament for a time, of establishing his authority on earth. In fact, the best answer I have to that question is really exemplified when you're trying to do something for your child and they say, will you just let me do it? I have a daughter who's like this. Doing this thing for her. Will you just let me do it? Yes. Why does she want to do it? Because she wants to feel the joy, the satisfaction, the pride, and not in a bad way, of doing it for herself, of contributing, of entering into a work that feels substantial. Lord, can we do it? He has given it to us. And in the same way that Christ uses the church by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring an end to the reign of Satan on earth, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which we see in the book of Revelation is a prayer that Satan, in the same way that he was removed from heaven and his influence and power there, might also be removed from earth. I cannot wait to see him flee from Gaston County. <laughs> Who knows how long that will take. But do you see the world as Christ calls us to see it? And this is what Habakkuk wants us to see. That one day, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as waters covers the sea. Perspective is everything if obedience is the objective. And so then, not just perspective... You may be wondering, oh no, he's only covered two verses. Then the act. Well, there's instruction and then the act. So let's look at the second point, conquering on God's terms. They were not only to look and go, I, I don't know what you mean. Now is the time. The time would have been what? When the gates were down and we could go in. But the gates are up and the walls are tall. But the Lord comes to Joshua and he gives a very clear scheme, instructions. And we see it in verses 3 through 7. You're to march around the city once a day for six days, following seven priests who blow the horns at the beginning and at the end. 
And then on the seventh day, go seven times. And then they take it up. Joshua instructs them, beginning in verse 6, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns. Excuse me, losing my voice. Before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. In this worship precedes warfare. And so it was, Joshua spoke to the people, and he gives them all of these instructions, and I don't think I've ever said trumpet so many times in my life as I did tonight. There is a lot of noise, but in the first six days, the people were to pass in silence until the seventh day. Now, why seven days? And on the seventh day, seven times. What is seven? It is the number of fullness of completion. It marked the fullness of the destruction of the city of Jericho. Christ would, through his people, manifested among them, bring an end to this blight on the land promised to them. You're moving into a house. You just bought it and you discover in the basement there is a living, breathing organism. Black mold. What do you do to it? You eradicate it. Here, Israel comes into the land of promise and there in the land, though not a single-celled organism, but something even far more significant and far more special in terms of God's design and creation, a people who nonetheless had betrayed the ways of God. When you think of Jericho, I want you to think of Babel, a city not devoted to the glory of God, but to the worship of man and pagan idolatry. The kinds of people who killed their children for the sake of the appeasing of old and ancient gods. The scheme was to march. The priests were to lead before them armed men, some holding the ark, some blowing trumpets. And in verses 9 through 14, we see, or really 9 through 19, the Israelites did as they had been told. They marched. They devoted themselves to the strange instructions of the Lord. And the whole nation was silent. There was some noise in the beginning and the end. The sound of footsteps. And there all in Jericho were shut in. Can you imagine? What is happening? What are these people doing? There is a strange and silent parade each and every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they must have thought they were nuts. They just keep going. Until on the seventh day, as God had instructed them, they went seven times around that number of completion of devotion Israel was devoting to the Lord. Not only themselves, 
appointed to him, but also that city appointed to destruction. And we see that destruction beginning in verse 17, or 15 rather. And then in 16, the people shout, and the walls fall. And many historians, not of faith, small-minded historians, you might say, who care not to attribute to God the things that are God's, speak of this sonic vibration. But it is not. It's the commander of the army of the Lord. And walls are nothing to him. You remember what happens in Christ's resurrection? He goes through a wall. And there he appears to the disciples. Where did you come from? Christ does not play by the rules we play by as creatures. And Christ is intent on maximizing the glory of himself, the Father giving to the Son great honor. All in the city was to be destroyed except the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron. They were to be consecrated. That means given to God and used in the treasury of Israel to build the nation. But everything with blood and breath, everything that lived was to be devoted to destruction. And that leads me to my third point, following the king on his march. Now, in one of the commentaries I read, it opened with the dilemma. What do we do with moments like this in the Old Testament that sort of give us a bit of discomfort when we read of devoting everything to destruction? The moral dilemma. Now, let's just say this. Speaking in the modern West, though this is not a modern West problem, the dilemma of morality is almost laughable. I'm uncomfortable with that. Some might say, as they fly their rainbow flag. (laughs) I'm uncomfortable with that, as they wave their pro-choice banner. Why is it Oftentimes, when men and women open the Old Testament, they look for places in which they can hang upon God some moral injustice. What is the motivation, oftentimes? They're looking for a reason not to pay to God the honor they know they owe to him. Children, you do this sometimes. To your parents... As an excuse for disobedience or rebellion, you didn't do X. And your parents will readily admit, you're right, I blew it a lot. There is nothing good in me that merits your obedience. And yet God has given you to me and me to you for some reason by his own design. And I'm the authority, I'm the hammer. You're the nail. I'm the potter, so to speak. You're the clay. 
And God has given to me the responsibility to shape you by his word, according to his word, so that you might grow up to be something other than a dweller of Jericho. That's what we want of our children, right? Just not Jericho. We want you on the other side of the wall. Unless you're Rahab. Now, not only have I said trumpet a lot, but today I've said harlot a lot. I just preached from the book of Revelation, chapter 17, on the great harlot. And here we read of Rahab. And the writer of Joshua would have us remember, because he says it three times, maybe more, Rahab the harlot. Why is that significant? Does he hate women? Is he a misogynist? No. Why was Rahab spared the harlot, the once vile sinner, someone who is just like the average dweller of Jericho because she feared God and made peace with him by pleading mercy. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you. It's a Psalm 2 experience. She repented. And she wasn't bearing the word harlot because she could not escape the moral gravity of it. There is a polemic here. There is a rhetorical point. If Rahab can be spared from Jericho, what then is the problem with Jericho? No one else repented. No one. No one. Everyone in that city deserved the destruction that Christ brought upon them through his chosen servant, Israel, those men armed for war. Now, here's the long and short of it. If you don't like what God does with Israel in the Old Testament, you will utterly despise what he does to the world through Christ and the cross. Because it is in a singular moment where Christ dies upon the cross, that those who are elect in him are assured, as we read, the surety are assured of their salvation, though they don't know it. But in the same way, the wrath of God is assured for those who reject Christ. But what do we do with the cross? We remove the teeth from it the significance from that moment, because if we want to reach the world today, we must do what? Not just remove all the truth claims from Scripture, but everything that just doesn't fit right. And Jericho comes as this massive reminder that if it were not for the grace of God, all the world is Jericho. That no one is left and is spared. That all are dwellers in that godless pagan city. And so Rahab shines out as this beacon like Israel that it is only by the grace of God that any are left alive. And that as Christ is marching through the world... Our responsibility is not to search the scriptures so that we can say one day before the judgment seat, I got you. I've read Joshua 6, and I don't like the way you deal with us. And God will say, 
as righteous judge of all the earth. Who are you to say to me, O man? Who are you to say to me? The problem is not whether or not Israel should. It's whether or not God has the right as righteous judge to sentence any to death and damnation. And you know what? He does. All of us. All of us have a record. Just go back and look at it for a minute. If we were judged according to our works, we would be trapped behind the walls too. And so we must understand good and evil, justice and mercy in the terms that are revealed to us in Scripture and say that God settles those matters. And there are times where it remains to us a challenge. We meet people who've lived hard lives. And it's hard for us to go, God, what in the world? How is this a good design? But those things are left to the Lord. But what we know is this. The problem of evil is not God's problem. It's our problem. We have brought evil into the world, yet God has committed to help us. And of this, Rahab is proof. After the fall, the whole world was one big Jericho, except for two people. Well, there were really only two in the beginning. It was Adam and his wife, Eve, and then they had two sons. And of those two, for a time, only one lived, and he was outside of the family of God. But then another was born, Seth. And from that point forward, we see this conflict, right, between the families. That conflict between the families grows into a conflict between nations as people begin to multiply. We see Babel, and God judges Babel. And now we see Jericho and Israel, these two nations, at war, and one seeks security behind tall walls and another in the instruction of the Lord. Which is why we sing, Who with God most high finds shelter? This is why we ought, A, not fear the world, but B, seek to bring the battle to them. Because there are now in the age of the resurrection and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit a lot more than a Rahab and her family that are in the city of Jericho. Remember what Christ says to his disciples? Look at the world. Look at the world. It's ripe unto harvest. Go into all the world and make disciples. That what has happened in the glorious conquest of Christ in his death and burial and resurrection, is given us not just one little land, the land of Canaan, with very narrow geographical boundaries, but he has said what? There is a vision in heaven of those from every tribe, tongue, and nation. How do they get there? Through the conquest of the gospel. 
through the march of the church throughout all the earth. God has laid up for us bright and grand designs, but we must see the world as he sees it. And we can look at it and say, whoa, there's too much at stake. There's too many powers greater than we. Listen, did you look at the numbers on our budget, our year-end numbers? Did you see those? I was impressed. I was so encouraged by those. That's what Washington spends on a hammer, apparently. (laughs) You know the joke? The $20,000 toilet, that kind of thing? Where will it be? As I said this morning, where is Rome? Where is Rome? We must embrace Christ and march with him in his ongoing work of bringing to ruin the works of unrighteousness throughout the world. What is the warning? Don't be a builder of Babel. Don't hide behind the walls of Jericho. Don't build a city, a system, a life, and a religion that stands in the way of Christ's march, but rather what? March according to his instructions. Let's pray.